Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really pleased to have with me for the second, uh, during the first half of the second hour today, Ian Gordon. Uh, Ian uh, is renowned for his work in the uh, Kondratiev cycle, the long wave, and uh, an excellent newsletter that you should take advantage of at uh, longwavegroup.com. Have I got that right, Ian? You do. Longwavegroup.com. I've, I've got it right. I know the first time I had Ian on this show, I had quite a time uh, getting it out of my mouth and, and telling people what his website is. And uh, you should go there because there's lots of great information there, free of charge. And uh, the paid-for part of his service uh, is even a better bargain. You're going to pay something, but you're going to get a lot more uh, than you pay back, uh, in my view. Uh, anyway, Ian, you are very well known also as, at this part of the cycle, this Kondratiev cycle, which is a 60-plus-year cycle, uh, and uh, you have identified the beginning of the Kondratiev winter uh, starting in the year 2000, and so you believe very firmly that we are now heading into a deflationary period of time. Uh, we see prices still rising here. The CPI is still rising, and I would argue that the CPI is not. The government's numbers are understating the real cost. Yeah, we have some deflation, big deflation in the housing market, but what it costs us to put food on the table, what it costs us to drive our car around uh, around uh, New York City here, Mrs. Taylor and I, uh, generally, our medical costs are surging. The quality of care we're getting is declining. Uh, to me, I see inflation as much as deflation. When is this deflationary situation going to hit us uh, for real? Well, um, it'll, it'll hit once the government's ability to continually create money. And I, uh, you know, we have to look at what quantitative easing uh, did in mm-hmm. terms of uh, contributing to massive inflation um, because, you know, the Federal Reserve created so much money in those two processes, and I suspect that we haven't seen the end of quantitative easing uh, that's going to be masked somehow, but someone's got to buy the U.S. debt, and so the Federal Reserve will have to buy it and create money to b- make the purchase. Um, but that those that amount of money uh, was uh, so enormous that it it basically had to go somewhere. Yeah. And a lot of what I see in terms of the uh, commodity price inflation, I really believe it's it's not merely uh, based on demand. It's based on speculation in the commodities because the, these hedge funds and so on are all playing a game. They're all basically buying rising trends so that it becomes almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy so that you, uh, you know, a hedge fund starts to buy into the oil market or whatever, the cocoa market, uh, and prices rise, and, and then other hedge funds follow in in same suit. What happens in, in the Kondratiev winter when the debt bubble really starts to... Um, Burst in, and it becomes impossible for governments to to create enough money to overcome the collapsing of of the system, and that's as we've used in our first uh, part of the show here. We've given you examples of the Assignon and the and the um, John Law scheme. When that paper money system starts to collapse, the ability for uh, to uh, finance and speculate in any market is is overwhelmed, so the whole system starts to unravel. You've already in the United States got massive deflation in housing prices, mm-hmm. and yeah. that will persist and get even worse because the economy is going to, uh, when they lose control of the paper paper money uh, printing process, and uh, and when the whole system starts to collapse. Uh, you know, the housing bubble in the United States is only really in its, what I would call, in its infancy. 
and uh, the collapse of the housing bubble is in its infancy, and it has far, far further to go on the downside. You know, people ask me, Jay, I go down to Scottsdale for two months every year in February and March, and they say, well, you know, are you going to buy a house in Scottsdale? I said, well, no, um, but even if I, you know, even if I wanted to, I just think prices are going to go down dramatically more. So um, what happens is when the whole debt system unwinds, look, we talked in the in the first part of the show that the world debt probably is $110 trillion. Mm-hmm. So that debt is going to be wrung out of the system one way or another. The debtors and the creditors are both going to be basically destroyed in the, you know in that unwinding. Uh-huh. And uh, when that happens, money becomes very scarce, and, and also people get thrown out of work. And, you know, in the last depression, 25% of the American workforce was unemployed. I would suggest that this time it's going to be far higher than that. And you could say, you know, using John Williams' number, that already 16% of the American workforce is out of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're talking about huge numbers being uh, let go because business basically ceases to function. Mm-hmm. Just sort of looking at an example today in, in the Financial Times of London, we're seeing that essentially in Europe, corporate debt is basically uh, dried up. You know, mm-hmm. Corporations can't issue debt, and the debt that's already been issued has essentially gone no bid. So people can't get it off their books, they can't sell it, there's no buyers for it. So the debt bubble is imploding there, and you know, so the whole system, the ability to create more and more money to get the system functioning again is impossible. We've, we've tried that. Greenspan did it um, following the stock market peak in 2000, and uh, Bernanke did it following the stock market, bear market bottom in 2009, and now the ability of governments to create even more paper money is finished. So. When the whole debt bubble cr- collapses, you have a massive deflation because everything, the economy ceases to function, and everything, essentially, people are thrown out of work, and the ability to basically buy anything is, is, becomes very, very difficult so that uh, uh, costs don't go up. They go down and go down quite dramatically. Well, we're certainly seeing a... Uh, a declining living standard among the middle class. We've had uh, Howard Davidowitz, a well-known retail analyst on this show, a few times. And Howard, the last time he was on a few months back, pointed out that the only retail stores that are doing extremely well are those at the top that cater to the really rich. And the dollar stores that are really, you know, the, the trash really sort of like the trashy lower-end stores, the lowest of the low-end stores, are doing well. Howard says that 80% of the American people are seeing their living standards decline while 20% are doing as well or better, and a very small percentage of that top is doing extremely well. Um, this was certainly something that also happened in the 1930s. Is this, is this a, a common occurrence with the middle class being, being basically raped and the, and the top class doing extremely well, Ian, in these kinds of episodes? Uh, I, I think for the most part the, the, the wealthy are smart enough to protect their wealth. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that the, the wealthy, and I'm not, uh, of course, Warren Buffett isn't included in, the, in, in this or not, but I suspect that they're, in the, for the main part, not in the stock market, not invested in the stock market. They've, they've already uh, started to take their, their money uh, and put it into, into, into things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, that's why things like the art market are doing so well. Again, we can go back to John Law and the Mississippi scheme and see that that's what happens. As the paper money system starts to unravel, people will put that paper into anything um, tangible, to, which they feel has, a tang- has tangible wealth. Right. Um, and I know that I collect uh, coins of, uh, of a king in, in England from 1629 to 16. 49 King Charles I and I collect those coins and I can see that the value of these coins when I go to auction is always increasing well hmm. why because uh, simply I'd rather p- get rid of my paper and buy something that you know has some has some value because it's rare mm-hmm. and 
Well, it, so Buffett, you know, I mean, I just want to sort of, you know, I think Warren Buffett is blinded by a sort of a jingoistic pride in the United States. Uh, you know, he came out the other day and said if there, if uh, you could evaluate credit on on a quadruple A, then America would be a quadruple A country. He also yeah. not too long ago emulated J.P. Morgan when he said, you know, he would never sell America short. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact is that America is a declining economic power, um, and so that uh, it probably is something that should be shorted. Yeah, I'd like to get to some of that history if we have time, Ian, but I'd like to also just focus a little bit more on the visibility of this declining uh, or the declining ability of the U.S. and the central bank, the Federal Reserve, to print our way out of uh, out of trouble. It seems to me that we're seeing debt, and this is a chart that you and I have talked about often, the exponential rise in total debt in America, you know, debt of all sectors, relative to income. And we're talking about a middle class that is disappearing, essentially, and who doesn't have the effective buying power. Uh, we, we've talking about, from an Austrian perspective, malinvestment, meaning that uh, all this money goes into the system, and bad things happen, like the South Street, the South Sea bubble. Uh, you know the, the things we just talked about. What's happened uh, in the dot com, and worse yet, in the housing market. The debt doesn't go away, and yet there's no income from these malinvestments to service that debt. And you know, people are questioning now QE2. I mean, mainstream people that I sit around that I know in New York City who are investment bankers. They said, "Oh, we absolutely had to have QE1. It was uh, something the Fed." had no choice but to do. I disagree with that, but that was their view. And now a lot of these people are saying, yeah, but QE2 didn't get us very much. QE2 didn't get us very much. And yet there's talk about QE3. Why? I guess they don't know what else to do but to print more money. And yet, as you pointed out, debt is the raw material that money is created from. And so the more debt, it's like it's like a heroin addict taking heroin to get over his heroin problem, isn't it? It is. I mean, uh, you know, but, but what's been happening, I think, to some extent, is the debt's being transferred, uh, uh, especially from the banks, uh-huh. to the government. And the U.S. federal government, I mean, the debt, you know, now the debt ceiling is, what, $16.8 trillion or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, that money can never be repaid. I think, you know, the fact that the U.S. is... Triple uh, A in the in in the eyes of of uh, some rating agencies and double A plus in the, in S and P is just a is a joke. Yeah. Because there is absolutely no way that fourteen trillion the U S government can ever repay fourteen trillion. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the the it has been transferred the bank debt has definitely gone down but you know hidden hidden on the bank's balance sheets i think is something even more on, on, ominous which has sort of been hidden uh, and concealed from all of us uh, and the values of which have been concealed from all of us and that are the derivatives i mean these amount to trillions and trillions of dollars and and you know jay that when when you take on a derivative there's a you know when a derivative is sort of bought and sold as you know someone wins and someone loses right it seems to me in this game no one loses or at least we never hear of anybody losing right right yeah well just paper it over with more by the way if it when and it when it bursts because i don't think it's a question of if it has to burst it's so enormous when it bursts that has to be highly deflationary okay so collapses the banking system will collapse Right, and and so no amount of money that is printed. Um, we had uh, on this show. We've had various people, professors, talking about uh, inflation and deflation. And one of the issues that uh, a recent uh, professor that we had on talked about. Uh, he he doesn't believe either that we can print our way out of this uh, out of this problem. And he points out that there's a big difference between a Zimbabwe. And a country like the United States that has an advanced uh, currency system and an advanced uh, credit system, a banking system. And he points out that you can't just print money and shower it over the landscape because you've got this double-entry bookkeeping system. You've got this banking system. Uh, and, and he's very doubtful that we can do it. So <clears throat> is, that, is that what it rests on? It seems to me, and you and I have had this discussion before, but it seems to me that literally if the Federal Reserve decided to 
hire an army of helicopters and, as Ian uh, McAvity suggests, uh, go to Walmart uh, parking lots and shower $100 bills and massive numbers of them down over the, over the parking lots, that you could create inflation, that you could cause prices to rise. Do you disagree with that? Well, I mean, temporarily that might. I mean, uh, but Walmart doesn't raise its prices, so <laughs> all those people would be in Walmart and buy a Walmart, you know, and stock up or whatever. But uh, the fact is that uh, it couldn't last for very long because the dollar would basically be toast. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's impossible for us to, for any uh, Western country to inflate them, their way out of this. They're all trying to do that, as you can see. I mean, in Europe and uh, in the United States, the fact that uh, since Obama's been president, the, uh, the U.S. debt has risen so astronomically, is, you know, is, is it the idea that somehow we can print our way out of this. Well, I believe that they, that ability has has basically been finished. And by the way, Jay, if we go back to the last depression, um, we can see that the Federal Reserve tried mightily at that time to print their way out of that depression. Mm -hmm. Failed dramatic. Absolutely. The whole banking system collapsed. Absolutely. And Ian, I might point out that the gold standard that we were on then did not stop the Fed from pumping money in the system, did it? No, it didn't. I mean, they didn't really care. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, anyway, by 1931, the, the world monetary system uh, uh, collapsed. Uh, Britain left the gold exchange standard system. Uh, but, and it wasn't a true gold standard system because the British pound and the U.S. dollar were considered to be as good as gold. And therefore, uh, countries could have pounds and dollars as they're in their reserves as as much as gold and they you know the currencies were considered as as good as gold but the fact is that britain was forced off the gold standard system gold exchange standard system in um in 19 september 1931 uh, so we're coming up to the 80th anniversary of that time and i think that that's going to be quite uh uh quite um uh, an exciting time. For instance, yesterday, Jay, just looking at these anniversaries, because I'm very big on these anniversaries, because W.D. Gann, I considered to be a, uh, my mentor. You know, he died in 55, but nevertheless, he went on these cycles, these, uh, mm -hmm. the 20-year cycle. And yesterday was the 40th anniversary of um, uh, the U.S., basically uh, Nixon closing the gold window, the 15th right. of August. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in a piece, uh, I said, I, and I wrote it on the weekend, I said, I wonder what will happen uh, on the 40th anniversary of that, uh, of Nixon abandoning gold. And, of course, gold went up and it's up again today. So these anniversaries are very uh, important to me. So that's why... Uh, 1931 and 2011, which is an 80-year anniversary, or 420s. Gantt considered the 20-year cycle to be a very important cycle, and that's why uh, 31 and 2011 are very important years. And 1931 was looked upon as the tragic year. Yeah, it, it was uh, historically a very, very uh, tough time, no doubt about that. Well, Ian, you're... You have this this deflation view, and you are talking about. I know we had you on with Robert Prechter when I had Robert Prechter on this show, and you know you told Robert that probably you were one of the few people that would be, uh, you know, you, you know that that Prechter would be one of the few people would be more bearish than you, and he sees the Dow going under a thousand at the bottom, and you see the Dow going to a thousand. You see the gold price going to four thousand. At least that was a, a forecast that you made some time ago. Assuming that's still the case, uh, tell our listeners why. How do you arrive at those numbers? Well, um, Dow 1000, I wrote a piece, Dow 1000 is not a silly number. And actually, I've just written uh, a piece for publication tomorrow called Hope Springs Eternal, and I revisit that number. And uh, again, going back to W.D. Gann, W.D. Gann uh, wrote a piece for his um, readers in, 19, in November 1928. He published a piece 
saying that the um, uh, 1929 would basically be the end of the big bull market in stocks. Mm-hmm. And what he said was that the, the de- decline uh, would be in proportion to the advance. Mm-hmm. And and the advance of that, and he, he talked about it would be panicky, 1929 would be panicky, and it would be, you know, a big bear market following the big bull market of the 20s. And so the decline would be in proportion to the advance. Well, let's look at the advance. The 2129 advance took the Dow uh, up about uh, 595% from 1921 to 29. And the decline was 89% mm-hmm. into 1932, 29 to 32. Now, if we go to 1982-2000 bull market, the Dow went up 1,500%. Uh-huh. So proportionately, what should the decline be if the decline following the 21-29 advance was 89% and that advance was 595%? And the advance from 1982 to 2000 was 1,500%. What should the decline be? You know, the decline should be in proportion to the advance. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something bigger than 89%. Mm-hmm. Well, if we go down about 93%, we get to Dow 1000. So mm-hmm. I'm very comfortable. And, and by the way, Dow 1000 says the economy is basically is, has collapsed, mm-hmm. and uh, much as it did in the early 30s. And I'm basically of that opinion that uh, Dow 1000 is not a silly number, and, I, and I've just written a piece to uh, substantiate that uh, that's on my website as of tomorrow. But let me ask you, Ian, though, a dollar, uh, as, as Ian McAvity has said on this show, a barrel of oil is a barrel of oil, an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold, what is a dollar? The point being that the dollar uh, doesn't really have any... Any, sta- I mean, it's not a, a stable unit of measure. So, is that? Do you feel that's still a, an accurate analysis, given that fact? In other words, a dollar today doesn't buy no, nearly. I, Jay, I mean, I think that's a very good question, and it's very difficult to sort of ascertain uh, how this. You know, when the paper money system collapses, yeah. what, are the, uh, what are the true implications of that? Yeah. Um, and. You know, so in other words, will there will there even be a stock market? Will a stock right. market function when you've got to pay in paper dollars for things that have a tangible value? You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that's going to unfold, yeah. uh, and it's difficult to see it. But I I can tell you this: that the stock market is not going to go up in 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 value. It's going to go down because it's paid for in in a declining value. Paper dollars are going to be worthless. All paper money is going to be worthless. It doesn't matter where it comes, including the Swiss franc. Yeah. Um, so that eventually, you know, I don't see there's going to be a hiatus, I think, where but essentially there could be a closure of the stock market, much as we had at the outbreak of the First World War in the United States. Yeah. Well, it's hard to say. Okay, so how do you get to $4,000 gold then? Well, the only, you know, what, I, what I've always, one of the measures that I've always used is the Dow Gold Ratio. And that allowed me, you know, in 1999, that ratio reached 44 to 1. In other words, it took 44 ounces of gold to buy the value of the Dow Jones Industrials. Mm-hmm. And that was the highest level that that ratio had been since 1896. We'd never seen a ratio, uh, you know, of that height. Before, I mean, if you go back to uh, 1966, which ended the what we call the spring bull market, the ratio was something like 28 to one. It took 28 ounces of gold to buy the Dow Jones. So I said, okay, well, you know, you get to these extremes, then you know the decline has to be in proportion to the advance. And the previous lows on the ratio have been one to one. We were one to one in 1980 when. Gold was 850 and the Dow was 850. Mm-hmm. We went one to one in 1896. In uh, 1932, we were on a two to one relationship, two ounces of gold to buy the Dow. But that's because the gold price was fixed at $20.67 an ounce. And we know that during the Depression, when the banking system was collapsing in the U.S., the demand for gold was massive throughout uh, the United States and elsewhere. Uh, so much so that uh, Roosevelt, when he became president in March 33, essentially 
forbade uh, the ownership of gold and confiscate what the Americans had had put aside to save them from the Holocaust that they could see coming. Uh, anyway, so that was a two-to-one. So I'm saying the extreme of 44 has to reach an extreme on the bottom, and I've gone to a quarter of an ounce of gold to buy the Dow Jones, and that's the 400, uh, 4,000 gold, 1,000 Dow. Well, your logic uh, certainly sounds uh, solid, Ian. Uh, it isn't something, I mean, it, it, is, uh, it, it is just alarming to most people to think that you could even have a Dow that would go to 6,000, let alone let alone 1,000, that you could have a gold price that would go to 4,000, let alone 2,000, which is getting close to right now. But I want to thank you again. We are unfortunately out of time. Unbelievable uh, all the how, how quickly time flies when, when we're talking to you. I had pages more of questions, so I hope that uh, maybe I can coax you to come back on the show sometime in the near future. Ian, it's been great having you. Thank you very much. Uh, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back after the commercial break with Ron Paul's chief of staff, Jeff Deist. He's going to talk about Ron's uh, efforts in Iowa and elsewhere and uh, goings-on in Washington. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Jeff Deist. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000. 
while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business welcome to the human race some kind of You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I uh, failed to mention our sponsors. Uh, they're the people that make this show uh, financially viable, and the sponsors for the second hour uh, are Merrick's Gold, Legend Gold, and Romeo's Gold Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me again Jeff Deist. He's Ron Paul's chief of staff. Uh, Jeff has become a good friend of mine over the years, and he is uh, a lawyer. We won't hold that against him, but he is a tax lawyer, and he helps people understand. He has helped people understand um, the extremely complicated laws of our nation, uh, laws that make it almost impossible to comply with, laws that uh, are sort of acting as an albatross about our neck, uh, limiting our ability to be free. And his boss, of course, Ron Paul, is is uh, is really on the opposite side of that ledger. He wants to reduce taxes. He wants to turn uh, the American people free. Let us be free to be who we are, to to be productive, and uh, the private sector to grow. So, uh, welcome, Jeff. Hello, Jay. Really good to have you. I just want to. I have to ask you about this Iowa straw poll. I'm telling you, I, I don't know. I shouldn't focus on this so much because I think my blood pressure is going to go up, and I I may suffer some. Uh, some health problems because I honestly got so angry about the coverage of Ron Paul's success, and it has to be considered a success. He was in a virtual tie with Michelle Bachman, and yet, uh, and yet he's ignored, totally ignored by the mainstream. I mean, you hear last night, uh, Hannity, uh, Sean Hannity had Carl Rove on his show, and Hannity is just uh, going on and on about how the possible new entries might be, and they totally never mentioned Ron Paul's, the fact that he was uh, even Stephen with Michelle Bachman. What's going on here? Why, the, why is he totally ignored? Jay, it is absolutely bizarre. Uh, there, there's no question about it, but the beauty of this is that I think the, the mainstream media and the, and the parties themselves are being exposed because there's so much chatter on the Internet about Ron. Yeah. And, and essentially what you've got here is, is my God, if, if Pallanti or uh, 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 Rick Santorum had come in virtually dead heat with, with Michelle Bachman, they would have been talking about what a huge momentum they had and what a big, how meaningful it was. Of course, Michelle Bachman busses in a bunch of people, and they say, well, this, was her, you know, this is in, indicates her ability to gain momentum. Uh. So if Ron brings in a bunch of people or college kids or, or, or in other words, creates voter turnout, yeah. Somehow that's dismissed as well. He's just got all these libertarian followers. Yeah, when it's a, crazy when the traditional Republican does it, it's, 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 well, it, it shows that they can get turnout. Right. Uh, and it's just absurd. And I heard that, that despicable Charles Krauthammer on the news, I think, yesterday, saying, well, you know, the reason Ron Paul doesn't get coverage is because he can't win. Yeah. Well, the vast, the vast majority of the mainstream media believe that Michelle Bachman cannot win, yeah. ultimately, either the nomination or the general election, but right. they, they cover her ad nauseum. And the reason for the shade is very simple. It's that neither party 
nor the mainstream media can stomach someone just talking about non-statist solutions. They are so immersed in a statist mindset. When someone just comes up and plainly says, hey, look, we can't print money forever. Hey, look, we can't occupy countries around the world and expect to somehow have limited government and limited taxes and not have blowback from this. We can't expect to have... A, an enormous entitlement state and and somehow be prosperous so so when someone just talks about peace and freedom two things that are anathema to the political class uh... they are dismissed and uh... the american people are are starting to see through it yeah i think people are getting mad as hell i i think they really are and i can tell you how i feel about it uh, it, it just, it, it's incredible because I think what Ron Paul is doing is basically reflecting the views and the philosophy and the values of our founding fathers. I mean, there was uh, the notion that we should be free to be who we are. But here's the thing, Jeff. You know, the way we're going uh, with more status solutions, more interference in the marketplace. We just talked to Ian Gordon, and, and, and these things run through cycles, no doubt about it. But but we're we're seeing... We're seeing how it is destroying our economy. It's destroying our wealth. Don't they realize at some point in time, people are going to be mad as hell, and there's going to be big, big problems out there, or they don't care. They think they can just repress us more. Uh, they can spy on us more. They can, um, you know, uh, take more of our wealth from us. Uh, I don't know. Well, you have to remember that, that for the for the political candidates, uh, po- politics encourages high time preferences in in the population and it encourages politicians to say whatever will help them in the immediate short term right so the politicians want to play to the delusion that is still pretty widespread in the american public that somehow we're just going to kind of get over this little bad economy and we're going to start growing our way out of all these right. problems when in reality we have a debt fiasco and a dollar fiasco that 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 no amount of economic, realistic economic growth in the near term is going to solve. And so whether the American people like it or not, there's going to be a radical restructuring of, of entitlements and foreign policy. And, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to say that because that's not how you win the presidency, Jay. You win the presidency by selling BS hope. Yeah. And the real hope would come from everybody sitting down, taking a deep breath and saying, hey, let's pull the Band-Aid off quick and go through the suffering we need to go through in this economy by liquidating debt, liquidating labor, whatever it takes to get us back to where we actually have banks and businesses and a federal government that have you know, something other than fantasy land balance sheets. Right. Yeah, that's uh, the problem with that, of course, is that the people that call the shots um, are enjoying life quite quite well right now. We see the the bailouts of the bankers, uh, certainly the thinning of the middle class, as Howard Davidowitz has talked about on this show, uh, and and yet you have a growing middle class that I think is becoming more and more disturbed by it all, uh, and yet we don't get an honest airing of it on the mainstream media yet. Um, you know, I mean, I did see your boss on television last evening as I was working out at the gym. I think he was on a camcorder from an office, perhaps in Texas. It just, you know, that. But you know, Michelle Bachman, on the other hand, as you say, she doesn't have. A ch- they don't think she has a chance to win. But yet, she's was on five uh, shows, Sunday morning shows. Uh, so it just, I, I guess you're right. I guess it, it's just that what Ron is talking about, getting rid of the Fed. Uh, you know, getting rid of taxes and so on and so forth is uh, is too threatening. Uh, and I, I guess on the other side of it, you have some of these uh, conservative, uh, religious conservatives, essentially Michelle Bachman and the governor from Texas. They wouldn't do anything, would they, to try to deter or try to set back the military-industrial complex or to do anything to the Fed? They wouldn't touch either of those institutions, would they? Absolutely not. And and that's why they're, that's why they're allowed to be aired. Is that why they're allowed to be heard? I, I think it is. And you know, we're never going to have limited government until we reject the Republican foreign policy of the last 25 years. In other words, we have to utterly repudiate George Bush's foreign policy if we ever want to have any credibility in talking about limited government. It's one or the other. Um, and you know, Ron's the only one who will say that. And the this, the so-called religious conservatives, of course. Um, want abject militarism. They don't want to cut a dime 
from that budget, and they want to, you know, they, they lost their boogeyman known as the Soviet Union in the Cold War. Yeah. And then 9-11 came along, and they, they, the religious conservative jumped on that, and they want to create a boogeyman called terrorism. Right. Of course, you and I are more likely to get bit by a snake or hit by lightning, of course. Yeah. But these terrorism, these boogeymen um, create a, you know, a, 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 a mood in the country where they will accept more and more government. Right. So in the old days, uh, Jeff, when I was a young man, it was kill a commie for Christ. Now I guess it's kill a Muslim for Christ. Or, and and that, is, that, that holds the religious right together, gets them to back a big military-industrial complex. They don't seem to have any sense that this is destroying the country, do they? They don't seem to have any sense that the Federal Reserve and the military are locked in together and that together they are providing a, a means, at least until the system breaks down entirely, which I think it will, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, if it goes the right way. They don't seem to understand that, do they, the, the commonality. And here is a man also, your boss, who is pro-life on scientific grounds. Maybe he's not preaching it on religious grounds, but nor should he, in my view, because the Constitution doesn't say we're supposed to be a religious republic, uh, any kind of a, uh, a religious government. So I don't know. It just doesn't. I, I get so worked up when I see what's going on and I see how the media is covering Ron Paul. But I want to thank you, Jeff, for coming on and talking to us. I do want to ask you one more question. I see we have to go to break, but what has Ron got coming up in his subcommittee hearings, has he got more hearings coming up soon to investigate the Fed? Absolutely. When when Congress reconvenes after the the summer break in September, he'll be right back in the saddle doing that. And uh, he's also got another debate coming up at, out at the Reagan Library in September as well. So uh, he'll be front and center, I assure you. Wonderful. Well, we want to have you back uh, on a pretty regular basis now, Jeff, if you're willing to come back and tell us uh, what's going on uh, with your boss and in Washington in general and the Republican Party as we go through these uh, uh, through this campaign again. Well, thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Roger Wiegand. He's going to be talking about some of the major markets, the moves today, and where he thinks things are going in the equity markets, the debt markets, and, of course, the precious metals markets. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Roger Wiegand. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Merix Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merix and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merix's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Rye Patch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio 
radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. We were supposed to have Roger Wiegand with us. For some reason, Roger has not shown up. Uh, so uh, believe me, I have plenty of things to talk about uh, in Roger's absence, for sure. Uh, the markets today, um, the Dow is down big again. We're down uh, about, um, oh, it's all over the place, but around 70 points. I think we closed down some 70 points. Gold is up about 30 bucks today. Gold is knocking on the door of 18 $100, uh, not far from $2,000, and as uh, Ian Gordon suggested a while ago, he's looking for a peak in the gold price down the road of $4,000, but that's not even shocking compared to Ian's prediction of a 1000 Dow. Uh, that is um, that that's alarming and beyond the comprehension of most of most people. And of course, most uh, most people would probably question Ian's sanity uh, for suggesting something like that. Although certainly Robert Prechter is even more bearish, talking about something in the order of 700 or so on the Dow Jones Industrial Average at the uh, at the bottom of this huge huge bear market in. Equities that began in Ian's view and in Robert Prechter's view and in uh, many other people's view, um, like Ian McAvity, uh, Bob Hoy, and others, that we uh, that the bear market, the secular bear market, started in the year 2000. Well, what we're seeing here, I mean, we're just talking to Jeff Deist, and I must say that I do find it very disturbing the kind of selective coverage that the mainstream media is giving. Uh, to our political candidates. It's clear to me that there is an effort to marginalize ideas. Uh, we are supposed to be a free society. We are supposed to be some a country that uh, uh, that really pays attention to uh, to free market ideas. Uh, that we are supposed to have freedom of speech. And of course, uh, the internet is giving Dr. Ron Paul uh, a chance to express his views, and his views are very popular. They're very popular among people who have stopped to think about them. The mainstream media is doing its very best to make sure people don't think about them. And to say that he doesn't have a chance to win, I think it's preposterous. It's true. He doesn't have a chance to win, probably, as long as the mainstream uh, marginalizes him and keeps him out of view as much as possible. But these are powerful ideas. These are ideas that caused a revolution in 1776. They're ideas that spring from hope of, of human beings. They're ideas that spring from what our founders believed were our inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So if they want to try to take those things away from us, if the fascist government, which is what I believe we have increasingly so, a fascist economic system, wants to take away the liberties of us individuals, well, they can do it for a while, and they are doing it. They're pushing us through airports. They're causing us to go through radiation machines that are, I'm told, a 100 times greater the radiation than what you go through uh, in the dentist office. I had a doctor friend here in New York tell me that she wouldn't go through one of those things. She doesn't care what sort of pat-down they do to her because of the enormous amount of radiation. And there are signs at some airports that say, well, yeah, you can opt for a pat-down. And that's what I've done the last couple of trips because uh, I believe that uh, 
uh, that the government doesn't have my best interest at heart. If they did, they would listen to what I have to say. If they did, they would listen to what the voters of Ron Paul have to say. And so, as far as democracy goes, if we want to talk about our government being a democratic uh, government, forget about it. Forget about it, because if we were a democracy, they would let Ron Paul speak. They would listen to his views. Also, forget about it, because our CIA destabilizes democracies that we don't like. For example, uh, we put the Shah of Iran in power in Iran uh, when Mossadegh was elected by the Iranian people back in the early 50s, and he told British Petroleum to take a hike that the oil was Iran's oil. Iran didn't like it, and they got the, uh, the Eisenhower administration and the CIA to destabilize Mossadegh, and in come a dictator called the Shah of Iran. He gave us our oil. We, of course, had Allende in Chile, and I'm sure there's other examples too, but Allende in Chile, who was a leftist government, didn't like him. So we destabilized him with our CIA. So forget about this notion that we are a great democracy, that we believe in democracy. I mean, we don't. It's selective. And I think if you look at the policies of our government, the Federal Reserve bailing out the banks, um, you know, the ends justifies the means for the people that are in power, and for the rest of us it doesn't matter. I see that Roger is online. I've got two minutes to go, they tell me. Uh, Roger, are you there? Roger's here. I'm sorry I'm late. A, a quick one, Roger. Uh, we only got a minute left. We're, uh, what's your idea on gold now? I see we're knocking on the door of 1800 well, uh, the standard uh, corrective pattern uh, actually was spoiled today uh, from being uh, modest up to a good up, which is to our advantage. Uh, last price, December gold, 1787, uh, the high 1790 today. Based on the chart patterns I'm seeing, Jay, it looks to me like the pressure is going to be to the buy side. And since I am going on a trip, that almost guarantees the markets are going to fly. Okay. Well, as long as you're on the long side of that market, then, Roger, you can just go. You're going to Japan, I know. You can go there and enjoy your uh, your son, I believe it is, and your grandchildren yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, so just make sure you have some uh, some long contracts, I suppose, in gold, right? We, you do. Have we, a, we you hold know. gold spreads all the way through to April, June next year, and we're going to be buying more. Okay, well, that's good. Roger, I'm sorry you came in late. I didn't notice you were with me until I, I was pontificating about my political views there. Uh, we do have to go. Unfortunately, when you get back from Japan, uh, we'll have you back on the show then. Okay, Jay, thank you. Uh, uh, folks, um, I just should tell you that next week we're going to have G. Edward Griffin with us. He's the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island. And Ed Griffin has been with us before. If there's anybody who knows... Uh, about the Federal Reserve, who's done a thorough investigation. I think The Creature from Jekyll Island is a book that everyone should read if they want to really understand what's going on in our government. They want to really understand why the rich get bailed out and why the middle class is being destroyed. Then I think you need to read um, The Creature from Jekyll Island and listen to my interview with Ed Griffin next week. In closing, I want to thank the uh, staff at Voice America for making the show logistically possible. Uh, Tacey Trump, my senior executive uh, producer, uh, senior, and Justin Jackman, my engineer. And thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the theme about time is that time is